I got some nerds chasing tail. Ooh, I've got that time Winston Churchill got his top hat shot off like a right mug. No! And welcome to Date Fight. It's the podcast where we take great moments from history and pitch them together. He's Jake Yap. I'm Nat Tapley. And together we have found two historical elk facts and we'll make them clash antlers on the planes of your entertainment ears. Basically, we take a couple of uh, things that happened on this day in history. Uh, we stick them together in a in a thing, like he said, and then we see which one's the best one. All right, let's get on with it. Ooh. Round one! Let's go back to the 2nd of January, 1911. And the Battle of Stepney. Uh, in December 1910, a group of what the British press continually re- referred to as Latvian anarchist immigrants had tried... <laughs> <laughs> nothing changes. Had uh, tried to rule, rob a jewellery store in Houndsditch. Um, in fact, there was a different... The papers could never decide whether to emphasise the fact they were anarchists or the fact they were Latvian or the fact they were immigrants. But uh, they did mention all of those three things all of the time. The robbery had led to the death of three policemen and the death of the gang leader, uh, George Gardstein. The police tracked the gang back to 100 Sydney Street in Stepney, where they surrounded them. And then the night of the 2nd of January into the morning of the 3rd of January, they began a six-hour siege. They evacuated all the surrounding buildings, and there was a huge firefight, during which the Home Secretary, Winston Churchill, popped down to have a look at what was happening, got his hat shot off. <laughs> it was all quite exciting. Winston Churchill said when he was there, uh, he heard the crowd going, oh, Who let him in, eh? Who let him in? Uh, referring to the fact that it was liberal immigration policy that had allowed Latvians to come here and try and rob our jewellery stores. Why don't they go back to Latvia and rob their own jewellery stores? <laughs> <laughs> the two last gang members who were holed up in 100 Sydney Street uh, were killed... Well, one of them was shot by the police. Um, after six hours, however, the building accidentally went on fire and the other one died in the fire. When they were dealing with the ruins, the London Fire Brigade... Uh, were damping them down and they collapsed killing a fireman in the process so that's the Battle of Stepney which led to the deaths of many people um, but all of the gang who were captured were acquitted so we don't even know if they were responsible for the robbery they were meant to have perpetrated the month before but that's Latvian immigrant anarchists for you <laughs> that should be your new catchphrase <laughs> that's Latvian immigrant that's anarchist Latvian for immigrant anarchist for you yeah Latvians <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should do that kind of gurning <laughs> thing shaking your fist oh, you're yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're older. I will from now on okay well what's your round one I'm going to go back to the 2nd of January 2004 when some Latvian immigrant Ooh. anarchists decided to no sorry <laughs> uh, when uh, a spaceship well I say ship it was a probe a robotic space probe called Stardust Ooh. which I rather liked mm-hmm. uh, f- yes. flies past a comet collecting samples off of it that it then manages to return to Earth. Quite a feat of human ingenuity, I think. So this was a 390-kilogram probe. I mean, it didn't look it. It didn't look more than, I don't know, about 300, honestly. And they had to invent all of these new things to make it work. It studied an asteroid, asteroid 5535 Anne Frank, it's called. Mm -hmm. Obviously a big Anne Frank fan. Named it. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, and then it had it used aerogel. Do you know about that stuff? I think it's the lightest solid on Earth. Yes. It's... It used that. Basically, it sort of stuck a bit of that out as it was flying in the in the Ooh. sort of wake of this comet's tail. And yeah. all the bits of dust went into it, and then it brought them home somehow. But obviously Ooh. it had to go through all this interstellar dust and debris and not actually smash up as a probe itself. So they use a hyper-velocity impact shield called the Whipple Bumper, <laughs> invented by Fred Whipple. Which I really enjoyed. Yeah. And uh, it's made of Kevlar. It's literally like a bulletproof vest for a space probe. Did Fred Whipple invent anything else? Nipple, nipple Whipples, which is... Uh, nipple Whipples, I don't know. I, don't, I wondered if it was it's him. A, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're little Kevlar discs you put over your nipples so that if someone is whipping yeah. you with a Whipple whip, whip <clears> then you, your nipple Whipples yeah. are protected from the... I don't know what I'm saying. What my question though is: Do people <laughs> I led you into a conversational cul-de-sac? Do people at NASA like hate their families? Because I feel like there's always key mission moments over the holidays. I mean, obviously, you know, space yeah. does not respect bank holidays and stuff. But but in some ways, fortunately for us, because otherwise there'd be nothing to talk about. It's true. Point. It's true. 1959, Luna One on the 2nd of January was the sp- first mm. spacecraft to reach the vicinity of the moon and to orbit the sun. Mm. And that was launched by the Soviet Union. 1959. I mean, goodness. Well, But they didn't have any Whipple bumpers, so... <laughs> I mean, didn't last a long. world without Whipple bumpers, is that a world living in? Worth living in? <laughs> I mean, just you know, if we were scoring, who, who do you think? Uh, oh, I don't, well, I think that I think you'd have that. You've got to have that. You've got to have that for the Churchill. Churchill's bit. hat getting knocked off. Also, he wrote he wrote down in his memoirs, "Ula Emin," uh, phonetically when he was saying what the crowd was shouting at him. So it's double O, let E M in. That's what Winston Churchill remembered the crowd shouting at him on that day. Ula Emin. Those Latvian immigrant anarchists. Oh dear. <clears throat> Let's do the Latvian immigrant anarchist birthdays. Happy birthday to Apsley Cherry Gerard, who went on Scott's expedition. Scott initially didn't want him to come on the expedition, but he changed his mind after Apsley Cherry Gerard gave him £1,000. <laughs> he spent most of the first year, 1911, trying to steal Emperor Penguin eggs and failing. He was then in the party that was meant to meet Scott as they came back from the pole. Um, they got to within 11 miles of each other and then never found each other. Absolutely, Cherry Garrard was haunted by this for the rest of his days and wrote a book about it called The Worst Journey Ever. <laughs> happy birthday to... Oh, we mentioned him earlier. I forgot. Happy birthday to Isaac Asimov. He was born in Russia. Um, his family emigrated to Brooklyn in 1923 and he wrote science books and the quotation that Jake said earlier on. Yesterday. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Happy People could go back. They should go back. It's a great quote. Happy birthday to Cuba Gooding Jr. He's the one who shouted, show me the money. He got an Oscar for that. And <laughs> he's in four episodes of MacGyver between 1989 and 1991. There you go. Cuba Gooding Sr. was the lead singer of The Main Ingredient. But it's not his birthday. It's his son's birthday. Happy birthday, Cuba Gooding Jr. Happy Who's dead today is 
Nimr al-Nimr, the Saudi cleric who called for free elections in Saudi Arabia, who was shot by the police in 2012, but survived. In 2014 was sentenced to death, but survived. But in 2016 was put to death by Saudi Arabia. Happy death day, Nimr al-Nimr. Also, happy death day to Pete Postlethwaite, who was in everything in the late 1990s. And happy death day to Elizabeth Jane Howard, who was the novelist and the author of the Cazalet Chronicles, who was, which she was encouraged to write by her stepson, Martin Amis. That's the death days. Round two. I've got the open door policy. This came into effect on the 2nd of January, 1900. On the nose. And it let all the Latvian immigrants in. <laughs> yeah, the anarchist ones. Uh, yeah. It was uh, the American statesman and diplomat John Hay uh, who implemented this. The open door policy uh, was about promoting trade with China. So mm. the idea of this was, because obviously this is something where we're talking about a lot. Trade with China is uh, sort of those conversations are somewhat harming the world economy right now. And it was mm. ever thus 120 years ago. Uh, basically, America proposed this idea of um, a policy which meant that uh, all nations, by which, of course, I mean, you know, uh, Britain mm-hmm. and you know, Germany and Italy and nations. Japan and Russia and France, them, yeah, all the countries. Not no, not Belgium so much. Uh, he asked them, would they formally declare that they would uphold Chinese territorial and administrative integrity. And mm. so it basically said that everyone should enjoy equal access to the Chinese market, including the United States. <laughs> Were China invited to participate in That's the lovely thing. That's the lovely thing. Everyone went, yes, yes, I think, yes, I think that, sounds, that sounds like a good idea. That sounds very sensible. Yes, and China but... said, um, do I get any say in the... No, no, you certainly do not. No. So... China got absolutely no say in this whatsoever. Wow. So the the concern was that China was about to get carved up, partitioned and annexed the way Africa had been. And so this sort of pact was made saying, no, no, we'll all have as much of it as we want. In some ways, taking over most of Africa and committing many atrocities there served as a warning to the rest of the world. Yes, Yes. Well, what I like is that what could happen to you. Yeah, even the people who you committed don't want to be the Belgian Congo, do you? Even the people who committed those atrocities agree that oh, actually didn't work out very well for for us either. There, there was obviously some concern that that wars would start in China over bits of China, and so there was this yeah. agreement that rather than us going in there with our soldiers and just having a massive war all all over someone someone else's country, instead let's all milk it for every dime we can collectively <laughs> instead good plan that sounds like a much better idea and it's led to a lot of bonhomie now hasn't it brilliant i mean all the decisions if we've learned anything from this podcast it's that in the past people were brilliant at decision making <laughs> <laughs> long-term planning has always been one of humanity's strengths oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. short-term profit and pleasure mm. for long-term stability and uh, profitability has mm. always been something we've been brilliant at. You can absolutely see that. The way we've sort of become custodians of the planet now, realising the damage we've done <laughs> and the urgency 
of uh, changing our ways. We're all we're champing at the bit, all of us. It's fantastic uh, to see. You say that, Jake, but we fixed the ozone layer. We just sorted that yeah. ozone right out. Yeah. It was it was all around going, I'm depleted. Yeah. Uh, off yeah. I go. I, we go, no, ozone, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay here above Australia and stop people getting skin cancer. And it did. Yeah. Australia's on fire now. The fires, though, in Australia, the the spread of them was as big as the length of Britain. All right, do your one. All right, let me take you back to January the 2nd, 1942, uh, when 33 members of the Duquesne Spy Ring were convicted. Um, It was the largest espionage case in US history, which led to convictions. 33 members of a German spy ring led by Fritz Duquesne, whose name, frankly, should have been a giveaway were sentenced on the 2nd of January, 1942. Uh, the FBI had discovered them by having a double agent in W.G. Siebold. Um, he was hired by the Germans, by Nikolaus Ritter. He recruited Siebold before he was turned. He also recruited in Great Britain Arthur Owens, who also became a double agent for MI5, codenamed Snow, which led to 120 British double agents. So Nikolaus Ritter, although he thought he was running huge spy rings in both America and Great Britain, was actually running almost no one as a spy and was being spied on by as many people as he hired to spy on him, which is one of the reasons the Germans didn't win World War II. So that's the 33 members of the Duquesne spy ring being convicted on this day in 1942. I'm surprised we managed to get ourselves together to that degree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I when think, you consider Balfour Beatty and the plans for MI6 or whatever it was. Yes, I mean, there's a there's an interesting book. There's an authorised history of MI5, which, of course, is exactly who you want to trust to tell the history of MI5, is MI5 <laughs> themselves. But it's got quite a... Everything was fine and we did a very professional job. <laughs> yes. Oddly, there's not much mentioned after, you know, during any of the controversial periods of history. But apart from that, they did wonderfully. But it starts with <laughs> essentially talking about the fact that it was really just three men who were quite good at crosswords sitting in a room, um, hiring secretaries so they could then go around, put on silly hats and run around um, at the beginning of the 20th century. And that's lots of fun in terms of why the British were the best at spying. And they weren't. They just had public school <laughs> boys who were endlessly confident that they could do anything. I love that. I wish I had that. Yeah, me too. You know, there's that uh, Piers Morgan once said, uh, I walk into a room and I immediately assume that I'm the most intelligent person in there. <laughs> and I'm the absolute antithesis of that. I'm trying to imagine a room where Piers Morgan would be the most intelligent person in there. Butchers. A butcher's, yeah. No. A used nappy storage facility. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to say my fridge, but I'm pretty sure there's some old yoghurt in there that... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some cultures in there that are certainly more culture than Piers Morgan has. <laughs> well. Well, that's the 2nd of January. That's very much the 2nd of January done and did. We'll be back tomorrow with another date fight. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone, <laughs> on this ongoing experiment to tell how long it will take us to go completely mad. We'll be back for another date fight tomorrow. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Bye. Thank you. Bye. bye.